It's a special episode of the Troop Podcast. Drod Hector is here. Drod, what did you do during the pandemic? During the pandemic, I joined Troop. <laughs> that was what I go. did during the pandemic. We hung out on Zoom <laughs> together correct. and you're listening to that. <laughs> what our guest Tim Bella did, he's a Washington Post writer, is he called 400 people and interviewed them about Charles Barkley. Sure did. <laughs> what the hell, Tim? <laughs> and you worked nights, right? Is that right? Yeah, somehow, guys, I uh, kept a schedule where I worked overnights at the Washington Post uh, covering Donald Trump's presidency. And during the day, I would just actually talk about Charles Barkley. And uh, yeah, I'm still here, still in one piece. I do have a, a sleep apnea. Uh, Tim, that sounds like quite the dichotomy. <laughs> Donald Trump presidency during the day, Charles Barkley conversations at night. And it's actually flip so it was actually donald trump after dark oh. and, and and during the day to itself when it was calm and peaceful uh talked of chuck oh, so man. it was anything but calm and peaceful so it and then you kind of came of out of it with the baby yeah was just to have another <laughs> yeah. like relaxing part of your schedule on top of it everything else yep yeah. Child came in right as I sent in my uh, final edits on this book. So, is yeah. there a, is there like a, a month coming where you're going to take it easy? Is that a thing on the, on the schedule at any point or no? I'm currently thinking about a second book on the other perfect. Topic. So uh, I hope so, <laughs> but if not, then uh, it was a good couple weeks. We'll say that. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, um. I'm impressed. This is that there are different ways to write books, right? Like, and this is the way that's the hardest way, which is to call everybody and get everything, every little, I know what you, like you found, you tracked down the police officer who pulled him over um, when he had a famous traffic stop. Uh, like, how do you do that? <laughs> What's the... Yeah. Yeah. So I was able to track down the purport itself from the authorities and it, it took a while, but we finally got it. And once we got it, I was able to find this guy's name. It was a very generic name. He's a great guy, but in terms of just uh, searching for it in these public records, it's really hard for finding someone with his name. But uh, eventually I was able to find out that he was leading his own church ministry and was no longer a cop. So I, I emailed him. At the address, he got back to me. He's like, no one has ever spoken to me about this before. I don't know how you got this email, but let's talk about it. I'm like, this is great. So it it, uh, it takes a lot of work. But for me, as someone who's always enjoyed finding people online through uh, public records and documents, this project was such a joy and a lot of the people had a lot of positive stories and even in this case with the officer he still came away with a really positive experience <laughs> with charles even though he pulled him over for drunk driving so like and didn't charles tell him he was on his way to have a role <laughs> he definitely great did guy. yeah everyone's yeah, like yeah. great guy he's driving drunk <laughs> Going to have some oral sex, and the, the police officer loves him. Like what? He, he he still does because Charles is still packing jokes about uh you know this blowjob he was actually about to get, and uh, if apparently Charles's attorneys were very 
upset that that made it into the <laughs> report itself, but uh, that's how it is. But yeah, people still come away uh, feeling good about Charles, even after drunk driving. So it just kind of speaks to who he is. Well, that to me is fascinating. And that's what makes Charles so fascinating, right? Because I think anyone who's ever had any encounter with him, when they leave, they they are feeling good. And Henry, we were talking about this off air, right? This idea of like, we have to turn people into heroes. Charles is so good at basketball. He's also this greatest person ever, right? There's this thing that we do in sports that happens. But with him, everyone who has that encounter, no matter what it is, at the end, it's like, maybe except for the guy he threw through the plate grass window. That guy probably wasn't feeling so great after that, <laughs> after that occurs. But when you decide to write a book, right, you don't have any preconceived notions about who this person is. You just, you're talking to people and you write how do you feel about charles barkley after spending a million hours talking to people and writing a book about him now i really wanted a subject who was going to keep me engaged the entire time because throughout my whole life guys i've kind of been a generalist in a lot of ways i i don't have a dedicated beat i'm, I'm not a basketball writer uh by trade so a and I take on stories and projects. I wanted to make sure that uh, the subject and the angle will keep me fully engaged the entire time. And honestly, I could not have picked a better one than Charles Barkley because I know we all think of him in a certain way because he's been on our TV sets either as a player or as a commentator since college for over four decades now but for me i wanted to just get a lot deeper into his story his family life where he came from how charles wade barkley how the kid who was called wade by his classmates turned into chuck and sir charles and this legendary player and this iconic broadcaster so for me just kind of finding out that he was a kid who got bullied in school, who for a stretch did not have a ton of confidence and uh, struggled with issues uh, surrounding his father and surrounding him uh, failing uh, to actually graduate from his high school. Those were the things that really kind of shattered anything I, I had in mind about Chuck beforehand because honestly his life could have gone in several different directions uh, from his father leaving him from an early age to well, his we, actually we pause on this his father didn't just leave like a lot of a lot of athletes have that story right. of the absent father but his yeah. father like had a whole another family. And kind of wanted totally Charles to like hang out with them, which is bizarre. Like, I feel like that's like, it just seems uh, uh, so audacious. He, yeah, his father, Frank, hit the reset button when Charles was only 13 months old, moved from Leeds, Alabama to Southern California. And you're right, Henry, he started a totally different life, different family, spouse, kids, and he would occasionally call and write to Charles and they would hang out occasionally in the you know, summertime. But Charles saw him as kind of an acquaintance instead of a real father. And uh, the only time 
he honestly felt like he could have been a father figure was at his high school graduation when he flew out to see him. And instead his father just ripped him a new one essentially for, for actually failing English and failing Spanish. So he failed Charles again. And eventually they did have a good relationship uh, as friends, but it was never a true father and son dynamic there. So he had a lot going against him for sure. When you talk about like his, when Charles first became famous, he wasn't seen as quite so lovable, right? He was kind of seen as like a angry character in his early years in Philly. And um, you kind of talk about like his father was driving some of that anger, I guess. Is that the, is that right? Yeah. He really did hang on to a lot of the anger toward Frank for his first years in the NBA. And honestly, on some level, that actually benefited him in terms of his play just because um, uh, he took it out on his opponents every single night. I mean, whether it be the rebounds, the dunks, uh, just uh, him jumping over dudes, he just let it all out each and every night, emptied a tank on everyone for, in his mind, these slights and these uh, – this a slap in the face that everyone else had given him in life for saying he was too fat. He mm-hmm. was too short. He was too dumb. He was too loud. Like these are things he heard his entire life. And uh, a big part of him on was rooted in that anger. And it wasn't until he accidentally spit on uh, the little girl in New Jersey that he was finally able to let go of some of that anger and turn into a guy who just is fun, is loving, and a guy who, uh, honestly, we have come to just grow and love. Wait, so spitting on children is the key to enlightenment? <laughs> is, that, is that the deal? <laughs> it's definitely a hack, yes. <laughs> if you spit on an eight-year-old girl um, and you are on a brink of getting canceled in the early 90s, then just works yes. Out. It works out well yes. for you. It does work out, especially if you feel really bad about it. And, it's a tricky road, tough, but it, it's a narrow tough. road, but it can be navigated, it turns out. Yeah. He somehow did it. But only when you said like the, the his her mom was worried that she was going to get oh, HIV from the saliva. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it, oh. it it was a really tense time because obviously Magic Johnson's story uh had come out around that same time and this country and the world frankly was uh, not as uh, s- smart about HIV. We were ignorant. You could say AIDS. everybody was ignorant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> straight up. If ignorant. one player it's has true. it, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and it really does speak to uh, just that moment in time and everyone's ignorance that they thought that just getting spit on by a black basketball player, man, you could possibly have HIV. Obviously, that was never going to be the case. But um, in speaking with Lauren, uh, the girl who got spit on, she said that was one thing 
her parents mm. brought up her mom wow. specifically. Yeah. Mm. I can see that if you've been spit on you, like the family might go into a little bit of a tizzy in the following period after that too. That's, that's quite the tizzy to go to though. Right. Like it is a little <laughs> crazy. Um, Okay, and then you have this interesting insight about, like, his mom. You know, Charles has ultimately now, and we can get a lot more into this after the break, but um, it's seen as, like, sort of a lovable American character, almost like, I heard um, somebody likened him to Dolly Parton. Who was that? <laughs> um, but anyway. That's like, a good one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there aren't that many people all of America agrees, like, are okay, and he's one of them. But you you mentioned his mom as an as an important force in that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. His mom, Charcy, um, was without a doubt the most important figure in his life. She is the one who kept him of focus. She's the one who had him sw- um, switch schools at a time when uh, desegregation in Alabama was a very big topic and a very tense time, especially around the Birmingham area so so with her she was his rock he would just actually talk about uh going to these homes that she worked in she uh, was a maid and for it's mostly white families in Leeds and and Charles would see the wealth and the clean sheets and the big beds and big TVs and she will put, tell him these people treat us really well and you cannot judge them by their home, by their TVs. You have to, to judge them for their character and if they respect you and care about you. And I do think that's one of the elements that is in the core of who Charles Barkley is and why um, he has gone to about his life this way. He gets it from his mom. Um, he gets the sense of humor from his grandmother, Johnny May, who just, who just talked trash the entire time. She <laughs> sold moonshine, had a hair salon. I mean, she did it all, but in terms of, of Charcy, his mother, she is without a doubt the most important woman in his life because uh, she praised him and his two brothers on her own. And uh, she did an incredible job of it. And uh, her legacy in Leeds, Alabama, too, is mm-hmm. It's still there today because uh, she, she, she wanted Charles to establish these high school scholarships in Leeds, and she really got on Charles, and he finally made it happen. So, if not for her, a bunch of high school students in Leeds would not have this Charles Barkley scholarship. So, uh, her impact is still felt even years after she has passed, guys. All right, we're going to take a little break. Uh, We'll be right back with Tim Bell. This episode of True Hoop is brought to you by BetterHelp. Hey, guys, Gerard from True Hoop here. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do? It's a hell of a question. Would you maybe go for a run, take a nap, read a book, maybe show up for a friend? 
Now, depending on the day, any one of those would be a great idea. Most of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Now, I've been open in the past with you guys about this. I see a personal therapist as well as a couple therapists for my partner and I. And both are extremely helpful in developing positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries. Therapy empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TrueHoop today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TrueHoop. Um, I got excited about the break and made it a little early. Sorry, Drew. No, 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 no. You, you, <laughs> no, no. The, the break was the break was well timed. Perfect, perfect break. Little trigger. No, he's it's, it's exciting. No, no, no. I was so excited. Yeah, I, I, I teased yeah. it. I like I, I just I, like I got way into Listen, it. Listen, breaks are great. Uh, I want to go great. here, Tim. Um, so he's a relatively famous basketball player in Philadelphia, right? Like he's been an All Star already by this point a number of times, but it's Phoenix where he becomes superstar Charles Barkley, right? Like that's the MVP year. That's the NBA Finals against Michael Jordan. That's he's in uh Space Jam. Like that's all the things are happening during this where he is like at the height of not only his on-court play, but his off-court playing popularity and persona. What were the conversations with people like about Charles during this time. It is an incredible period for Charles Barkley that really did start in Barcelona for that dream team in 92, where he was arguably the second best player. Might have been the best player. On, <laughs> it, it, in my opinion, he, he was the best player in terms of his impact. I, uh, Obviously, MJ, it is great, but he was going to have speed. Charles was going to 110% the entire time. And he also went uh, 110% uh, uh, at night, too. <laughs> After these games, it just walk you up and down uh, the streets of Barcelona. And being by far the most accessible Olympian in 92 – Everyone got pictures. Everyone got it's at least one Charles Barkley story during that time period. But what was crucial about that summer was, for anyone who knows Charles Barkley, is that he takes off entire summers from his training, from playing basketball. This summer, he had just zero breaks, which meant he came into Phoenix his first season in the best shape he had ever been in, in his whole life. And it turned into not just the MVP season, but also his only trip to the NBA finals too. So it really was incredible timing on his part, just putting it all together. And uh, around the same time too, which makes it even more fascinating is that he had actually separated from his wife, Mo at the time. And so he was going through all this with the uncertainty in his family life. And 
during the, this time too, he started a uh, something of a friendship with Adana, which if, if, if that happened right now, if, if the best player in the NBA uh, was linked to a pop star of that magnitude, it would just break social media now. But, but during his MVP season, he squeezed that in too. <laughs> so like you think about it, it's really an incredible year. But his impact on Phoenix, so he really did put that city on a national map. He made it a destination that people cared about Phoenix for the first time in a, a long, long time. And he still had, has a home in Scottsdale. Uh, he's still treated like a son of a Valley guys. So, um, he, he, you know, he never got the NBA championship there, but he did everything else. He made that city matter. Um, and much like his time in Philly, uh, the end looked uh, a lot like his time in Philly. It was fast. It was ugly. And it was just uh, time to yeah. go after that. And I, that kind of sums up Charles. Like, it's incredible when it it happens. But when it's over, it's really – it's done. And it's fast. I, like, somewhere in – one of the books that I have in this room is like, I believe Michael Jordan saying basically like Charles just didn't work as hard and just didn't want it as badly. And um, I, I, I should have looked up where that's from, but I think there was like a sort of a, you know, there was a re like in, in MJ's view, there was a reason Charles didn't win one, which is maybe fair or not. I don't know. So then I was reflecting on that while reading your book and I'm like, Oh, well maybe he just, you know, most of these athletes at this level are obsessive in a way that's socially off putting. If you knew them personally. Right. And like maybe Charles is just the non obsessive guy who was a very good basketball player. Right. But then I was like, wait a minute. He's actually one of the players. Like I, there was a when I was a kid and he was in still in Philadelphia, I'm pretty sure there was a little like featurette on him at home. And one of the little notes was he like obsessively cleans the kitchen. <laughs> I was like, oh, so he is obsessive about some stuff. That's for sure. <laughs> he is. Like, it's like he's one of those people who can tell you the models of a vacuum cleaner and if it's a high quality product or not. Like, it's like, like he is obsessive. About certain things, he loved his soap operas back yeah. then too. He was super into those. He was very much a hermit back then. But he did. If he cares about something, he's super into it. Obviously, his golfing, his fishing, uh, just having a great time in general. He loves those things. And as he got older, uh. Basketball just meant less and less to him, and he was never going to be that guy who was going to really practice every summer. There were only a couple uh, that people could recall where he really dedicated himself to it. But besides that, um, he, 
he just wanted to have a good time. And yeah, I don't think he has had same obsession gene in basketball that his other peers did, but that didn't mean he didn't care and didn't care about other things. That's not the one thing he was getting paid for (laughs) at the time. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, you know, I worked at ESPN for a long time and where there was a lot of concern about the studio shows. Um, I've never been, the basketball studio shows at ESPN have never been home runs, right? There's been a lot of like, it would be. They're barely singles, Henry. Better. Let's be honest. They're not even singles. I'm trying to be yeah, nice. It's fine. Ooh, they're, 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 they're not even singles. People I used to work with at ESPN will listen to this. It's Gerard Hector who said the rude thing. I was very judicious. Um, and so yeah, there's Gerard. this kind of like, you know, there's this notion that of like, you know, oh, well, you slap together like, you know, a pretty famous retired player and a regular host and you try that and then try to try it again with a different famous player and try it again. And like, um, but I always felt like there was a definitive difference, which was no one on any ESPN show that I can remember was really self-deprecating. And therefore, it never felt that inviting to hang out with them. I didn't actually want, it was just like a sort of a macho fest mm-hmm. by and large. It's like, who's most correct was the theme. Whereas, I mean, Charles exhibits this 50 times a show where he laughs at himself or invites you to laugh at him. But um, and one, the one example that really struck struck me i don't even know if they do anymore but is that was who he played for? oh yeah oh they still do that religiously and it is i mean it's like like, it's unthinkable that Stephen a smith would do that right never thinkable but to me this is why charles is like of course you want to go hang out in that living room Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. like he i mean they made a recurring feature about how much he doesn't know about his job (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely zero. Yeah, it's great. And just they will they will have these features where, you know, he's he's uh, changing baby diapers or or he's dunking his head in a fish tank or he's eating churros or donuts like they. It, it, yeah, you are totally right. I, I do think. ESPN has some really incredible individual talents. You just Gerard um, doesn't think that. I of didn't course, say agree with you. they don't have good individual <laughs> talents. I said the shows have not figured out how to put it together. <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 I tell you what, though, it, it's a really tall task because they're everybody for, for over two decades now has trying to has tried to find the next Charles Barkley. Can't do it. The only problem is there's one. Yeah. There's only one. He's on Turner, and he's going to stay there. And, you know, it's a thing of beauty, what he's been able to actually build there, in that he makes everyone else on every three other stations look so bad, honestly. And, like, come many other people can you say that about in broadcasting in sports broadcasting specifically it's on like one hand right and and this guy i know he's gonna be around for a little bit longer but we should we should not take him or ernie or kenny or shack for granted because once it's gone 
it's it we may never see it again guys like it's just it's so hard to, to keep up the quality they have for such an ex- extended period of time if that's why they got inducted into the hall of fame i mean no other show has done that yet do you think we really know him like i mean um I in promoting the book, you were on a show where somebody said, oh, "We know all of his dirt," and you were like, "Well, maybe not all of it, <laughs> right?" Like it's like you know, did we give him a pass? Do you feel like he's he is the guy that we know from the Turner Show, or is there another side to him? I do think that if you were hanging out with Charles Barkley at a bar, he would be the exact same guy that is on TV. Um, I will say in knowing him and uh, researching his life, uh, he does do a really good job of shielding his personal life in a lot of ways. Like, like he never talks about his wife. He rarely talks about his daughter, Christiana. Um, he's talking more about, his grandson Henry now uh, that he is a grandfather, but in general, I mean, you really don't know that much about his personal life, his family, his mother, his grandmother. He talks, he t- talked about them on air for a bit, but just the story here and there, and no one really knows about his brothers john and daryl specifically who passed away yeah. oh, oh. daryl is an example of a brother who had to live in the shadow of someone who just made out to be rich and famous uh daryl in uh his life uh struggled with uh drugs and addiction uh, to the point that he actually needed a heart transplant. And when he did get that heart, he really did turn around his whole life. And he uh, was a really positive guy, always smiling, always giving. And then one day he just had a massive heart attack and died. And Charles has spoken about Daryl, but only when issues surrounding addiction come up. So in general, Charles has really shielded who he is in terms of his family because uh, the other stuff is just a lot more fun, to be honest. So Tim, you and I have some things in common. We both worked at CBS. We both worked at ESPN. And we both stole moves from Charles Barkley. Um, yes, on the court. Yes, I had, and still do have, a very big butt. So, um, <laughs> it's an the, asset. That is the. <laughs> it's a big asset. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was. It was definitely something I needed to grab those rebounds. I was the undersized power forward. Like I, if, if my goal in life was to be like a Reggie Slater or a Chuck Hayes, where it, it, just like an undersized dude plays defense, 
and rebounds and will occasionally get a fucky on a layup. <laughs> but um, yeah, but, but seeing Charles out there, he gave me confidence to just go rebound. Just move people <laughs> around with your center of gravity. <laughs> I'm just like a short, fat Italian American kid who just like love playing basketball. Italian Americans were n- n- not meant to play basketball, guys, <laughs> in general. So like, um, just seeing him, like, it gave me that boost. It gave me that energy. And yeah, if not for him, I could only average like maybe two rebounds a game instead of seven. So thank you, Charles. <laughs> I said the move I stole from Charles was um, he, I, I swear I saw him do this 10 times where he would end up with like a like a nine foot jumper from catching the ball in the post. And then he'd be super sweaty. Right. And he'd put his sweaty bald head into the stomach of his defender in the post. And they'd be like, oh, gross. Yeah. And he'd be like, <laughs> and I just I look like that's I a good one. I could do that. And I don't know why everybody doesn't do that. But I you know, tried it one time. And like the first time I was like, magic. <laughs> like, you can just like you can kids. Don't trust me. If you're sweaty enough, you can do this move. <laughs> you can do you this. too can be like Charles Barkley. No, no, it, it's good. You know, he, as you said, Tim, he, we, he's been in our lives for going on four decades now. Right. Um, and he's been a famous person for a really long time. And Henry and I were talking about this again, a, a pre-show this idea of, you know, turning people into heroes. And I don't, you know, I'm one who's no one's a hero. No one's a villain, right? Like we're all people who are very complicated with multiple color shades. Right. Um, But why do you think it is? We allow Charles to basically say and do whatever he wants. And we're all just like, "Eh, it's fine. It's Chuck. Nobody cares. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty incredible. Right. I mean, and and uh, let me state this too. Like he has screwed up a lot of different mm-hmm. times. And I say this as someone who just spent the last like almost four years on him and just kind of understanding how incident after incident, after incident, after incident, he will say or do something that for any average person would have them just totally blackballed or canceled for extended period of time or for good and in this case it it just doesn't matter at all guys he is one of the the few people in his life who has gone through it being teflon and i i do think he's part of that is due to him if he's mostly speaking from a, a place of love instead of hate because there is so much hate going on. But even in those times where he has screwed up, um, specifically surrounding uh, issues of police mm-hmm. brutality mm-hmm. and Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter, um, he if, if there has been calls for accountability on his end, including out of Kenny mm-hmm. Smith, who uh, following Charles his comments uh, about Ferguson and calling the, uh, the wires thugs. Can uh, I publicly call him out and say, why is it after terrible incidents like this, not involved in basketball, 
everyone wants to hear what you have to say on this. And what it turned into was one of the best segments ever on television, on Inside, just them going back and forth in a respectful, civil way, having a dialogue that, that Charles has been craving on these topics. So even when he screws up, there occasionally is a lot of good that comes out of it. But he's not perfect by any means. But I do think that relationship gives him a little bit of wiggle room. Just knowing that this public has known him for so long and that he's just going to say things and just be that crazy uncle <laughs> figure that we all just want and need and it'll still be cool in the end. If you aspire to be the crazy uncle, it's easier than if you aspire to be like, you know, Santa Claus mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Like you have a lot more leeway. Yeah, yeah right. He'd be a terrible Santa Claus too. Easier to be the crazy uncle than like Malcolm X, right? Like that's just a much easier road to hoe, right? It's like, okay, this works. Yeah. I feel like, and he never goes along with the idea that he's been caught, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? When you're like, oh, Charles, bad thing. He's always like, oh, what did you think? That? You know, like he's always got like a, it's always fine. He tells us it's fine, right? <laughs> he does. Like always, like. Even when he was ordered on air to apologize for his comments regarding the wonderful women of San Antonio, of San Antonio he he's was all scheduled to apologize, and then he went on air and said, "I'm not apologizing. It, why should I apologize?" And it just just made Shaq just keel over. T- and laugh on the set. If you go back and watch that, it just there is a look on Ernie's face that's like this is not how this <laughs> was supposed to go. But if they they kept it going and basically told people if you don't like what I have to say, change the damn channel. And it's been that way ever since. So yeah. He's got that freedom, and it's never going away. And I, I'd be shocked if there really was one thing that got him super in trouble, just because there have been so many guys. I mean, it, it, it's crazy, right? Because in, in that in that instance, like, and this happens all the time on Inside, Shaq eggs him on, right? Because Shaq wants to be the oh, one yeah. to say those things, but he can't say it. So he'll be like, Chuck, what kind of woman they got in San Antonio? Like, and Shaq's already laughing because, like, you and Chuck's like, "All right, well, you you want me to say it? I guess I'll just say it." Like, <laughs> he just teases yeah, him like, every time, every time, <laughs> baits him because he knows he's gonna right, take he's like, it. Just every time, <laughs> too easy, too easy. <laughs> Charles, I feel like sort of epitomizes this like weird dynamic of covering the NBA, where you know this is a story. Your book is largely set in. Leeds, Alabama, where, you know, he had you know, his brother succumb to drugs in that area. You know, there just was a, there was a lot of real hardship. And like, honestly, I love the part about his grandma selling moonshine. Mm-hmm. But like, but, you know, but this is a story of, of real ingrained hardship. Right. And he's it's a miracle that he is in a giant house in Scottsdale. Right. At the same time, 
he's a guy who lives in a giant house in Scottsdale who's like partying with Dan Quayle, right? Like, like you know, and considering well, maybe it, the only reason I won't run for governor is because it's like too personally inconvenient for me because I have like other better options, right? Like, like it is a I got weird. Pulled over. Yeah, yeah. I got these other things that are yeah, like, yeah, that's Talk a problem. There's that. Sex. Yeah, there's the, that and that, but um. But there's like it, some of his opinions are straight from that house in Scottsdale to me, right? Where I'm like, he's a guy that it bothered him in his short drive to the golf course to hear about Ferguson on the radio, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like he's a little, he, you know, in some ways he's another out of he's that crazy uncle, mm-hmm. right? The one who's just out like a little out of touch because mm-hmm. he's like too elite, right? Um, which is a strange, you know, like strange thing for me to say for a guy from Leeds, right? Like it's um. But I recognize that he is very much all of those things, right? Um, is that fair? Yeah, no, it totally is. And it just popped up uh, last month, too, when following uh, the shooting in Colorado Springs, he talked about how uh, hack people, according to him, uh, were not the strongest allies for LGBTQ people, and that got a lot of blowback. It lasted a couple of days, but um, he he's been saying stuff like that for an extended period of time. If, it, if this is someone who has largely been an ally for a, a ton of really good causes, whether it be for uh, hack women, minorities, for uh, people on low income housing for uh, students uh, seeking better education. Like he, he puts his money where his mouth is for sure. Um, but there are other instances uh, in his past and what he said and done, whether it be hanging out with Terrence Thomas and push Limbaugh and of uh, Vice President Dan Quayle, where he did embrace conservative views for an extended mm-hmm. period of time. That stuff comes up, but we forget about it now. It's just because uh, when when President Obama came along, he really embraced him and and embraced us, uh, Senator Doug Jones and uh, the Democratic principles. But we've Forget this is a guy who was raised in Alabama, a proving red state who has proving red conservative values, and and he still packs up law enforcement mm-hmm. a, a ton, and that got him into some trouble during uh, the st- stretch of police brutality when he said he agreed with the verdicts in cases, uh, high-profile cases of police officers killing black people in this country. And he got a ton of blowback for that, but people also understand that this is who he is. He is from that generation. He is going to to hold on and perspective on enforcement, which is his right. But when we talk about Charles in that context, 
it does complicate it a little bit more just because people do tend to point to his comments sometimes in order to make their point. And I don't think that's right. He's just speaking on his own. He doesn't represent one party or mm-hmm. another. He's just Charles Barkley. And I hate that some people try to use him um, to just kind of hammer home with their own points, guys. And he's just wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, it's, yes. I, I, he, and you know, in ways that he acknowledges at times too, mm-hmm. right? Like there's just so many topics you could, <laughs> there's no gotcha reel long enough to just like, like, ah, later proof stupid, right? It just, just goes on and on and on. He just talks. He just talk. I mean, they put him on the college basketball thing and he doesn't even watch it's college hilarious. basketball. It's hilarious. Like, it is hilarious. He knows nothing about the teams. <laughs> but you know what? That big deal between CBS and Turner does not happen without Charles. No, he's the whole point. Yeah. 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 yeah it's the whole yeah. point of it. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, I mean, so, you know, in the trenches of digital NBA coverage, you know, I spend a lot of time really sweating like advanced analytics and the lessons of advanced analytics, which kind of culminate in like Steph Curry and, you know, the beauty of what Steve Kerr created in Golden State and, you know, also Mike D'Antoni and the Suns, et cetera. And like all through and basketball changed forever and it's incontrovertible. Right. And, and ever all the coaches before, were like, ah, you know, left by three. They, they were all wrong. They were all always wrong. A hundred percent purely and perfectly wrong forever. And it happened. Like it happened kind of on my watch. Right? I was there yeah. and the whole time Charles is like, well, that's never going to work. You know, like, like night in, he's still I mean, kind of doing it. Right? It's like, can't win, can't win shooting like, jumpers. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wins <laughs> shooting jumpers. After Golden State did it, he kept he saying still says it. it. Can't like, shooting jumpers, man. Man, they got four now, man. They have to. But the thing is, right? Like, <laughs> what that there are still people. See, this is the thing about Charles, right? Like, he is simultaneously the man who has a huge house in Scottsdale, Arizona, and parties with Dan Quayle and other rich elite people, but he's also the black man in a barbershop, right? He is the, he is both of those things at once. And that is why the old black man in the barbershop, because that's what he's talking to when he said jumpers don't win. Because they're like, yup, it don't work. So, right, you see, he's serving, he serves everybody. Charles works for everyone. <laughs> he's like 2022 Bob Hope. <laughs> like, he's kind of like that guy, right? Where it's like, like that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not bad. <laughs> I didn't know we wanted that or needed that, Apparently but maybe we do. like, She's a little like that. Like, did, did you guys happen to hear the Malcolm Gladwell podcast about golf? Mm-mm. There's this amazing, oh. honestly, it's it's must listen. There's an amazing hour of like how golf kind of worked its way into America, and it's basically happens tax free. All these golf courses and much of the country yeah. are like not used taxed. to be public parks, right? That now we're yeah. yeah, they did all this kind of crazy maneuvering that is you know in no one's interest except for a very very few people, and like the way they did it was basically Bob Hope. Basically, it's like Bob Hope just like became the guy who like, you know, like, well, you, you know, he, he went and made the case. And America was like, Bob Hope seems so nice. <laughs> like, like, we should just give him the golf. Right, yeah. we, should give her, we should give everybody golf courses. And like, I feel like Charles is a little bit mm-hmm. of that guy, right? Where it's like, he's just, he's not going to be evil. No, he's it, just right? Charles. <laughs> yeah. Or Chuck. No, it's like, it, like it, even when he said he was going to give um, 22, uh, any black woman who wanted to invest in 
IT or a tech business. He even said on air too, now this money will not be put toward hair salons. Right. Like he yeah. even yeah. said that even when he's doing good. something he, good, right. yeah. he said yeah. stuff that's yeah. like, yeah. man, come Straight on. Rush Limbaugh that's, talk right yeah. there. That's what you do yeah. when you hang out with Rush Limbaugh yeah. and Dan Quayle, right? Yeah, but, but yeah. like that and viral too because if people knew he he was like kind of joking but still it's like oh man <laughs> he he is the you know you know how you, people often say about like they're like they're racist family member oh they're just from a different time and place right like charles is very much is yeah. the embodiment of he's just a different time and place right like again because he's the only one allowed to do all these things and we're like eh, okay chuck <laughs> like move on <laughs> No, it's true. And there were even times in his childhood um, where him and his other black teammates uh, were in these public settings on buses where they would get bullied. And and this was at a time where things were still tense, but it, it was also desegregated too. So, you, you know, he... He does come from that time period. He does remember uh, what when this country was pretty different in that mm-hmm. regard. So when, when he says stuff like that, he doesn't. He probably doesn't think it's that offensive, right. but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is now. So and it it also informs right because Henry, as you said, like the the fact that he is in a huge house in Scottsdale, Arizona, given where he came from, that is a miracle, right? So like that's how he views life. So that, that's his that's his position when he's like, "What is there to be mad about? Like, you know how it used to be. Look how great it is now, right? Now the reality is it's great for you now, right? But ain't great for everybody else. But you know that's <laughs> no, it, and that can be his big place in Scottsdale, his big place in Alabama, mm-hmm. big place in Philly, his condo in Atlanta, Atlanta. <laughs> like yeah, I mean, I mean he's. He's doing okay, guys. <laughs> so is he like, uh, you know, some people who navigate life so well like this are like these mega geniuses, right? He would just solve every riddle. And like, is he like that, you think? And he just kind of plays like a crazy uncle? Or do you think he's really the crazy uncle? <laughs> I think he really is that guy, to be honest with you. He's a, a guy who kept going to the TGI Fridays in Philly just because he felt comfortable there. He's a guy who uh, would befriend bartenders and people in Vegas who would get these huge tips from him and would actually get their shifts to line up for when he was in town because they knew he was just so given. He is that guy. He's a guy who's going to get into these bar fights and <laughs> and yell at Shaq on air and do all of the things you've known him for because I can't think of him acting in a different way. Can you think of a timeline where Charles Barkley wasn't that guy? Because I can't, to be honest with you. No. No, I just wonder if, like, if, so if Gerard and I want to mastermind, like, our own media success, like, 
just more bar yeah. fights. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one thing we've discussed: more bar throwing uh, people through plate glass windows, spitting on children, right, spitting and saying wildly inappropriate things. Th- those three things seem to be the key to success. What would be yeah. the hardest one of those for you to do? All of them. <laughs> All of them are pretty rough. For me personally, uh, <laughs> a bar fight, I guess. Uh, mind you, I do not want to spit on yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's a, that's anyone. A that gets a real hang up for me. Everyone's <laughs> like, that's the one. I can't do that one. That's kind of a problem. I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, it's just not sanitary. Like, let's say, it's just, come on. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. It's very clear who the bad guy is in that story. Like, bar fight, hey, you know, yeah, things happen. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We can make a case on that. All right. So, we, this, I felt very like, prestigious saying this but we have to let tim we go do. because he's going to talk to scott simon of npr but folks even though this is an audio this, this is an audio <laughs> medium simon. this is an audio medium for those of you who watch this but, though get the book barkley a biography yes i hear it's a wonderful stocking stuffer i hear hope you have for, a big stocking <laughs> <laughs> it's a thick book it's sorry a thick book. Uh, yeah. that's both Lots of people are talking that uh, it's a book you should definitely buy. So, yeah, that's not me saying that. No, 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 no. That's people just, saying that. People, that's the streets talking. The, the streets yeah. are people are definitely talking. saying that. That's yeah. people yeah. are it's got this. You're going to see it in your book. I've been in some bookstores lately, and I'm here to tell you mm-hmm. this is a well-distributed yep. book. It's available. Charles' face is large mm-hmm. on the cover, and the words are very easy to read from across the room. It says, Barkley. That's the so, book we're right, talking so about. There's, there's no confusion. Yeah. You know what this book is. No. Oh, yeah, got you it. I'm up. getting that. Yeah. <laughs> that was my goal, guys. And then there's a little quote that somebody wrote for Shaq. <laughs> <laughs> Someone definitely wrote that for Shaq. <laughs> I definitely appreciate that, though. And, uh, oh, hell yeah. This time book is going out to his entire team. So <laughs> I'm actually staring at them now. Yes. Yay. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Tim. It's a great book. Um, all the best. Can't wait to read whatever's next. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. And uh, happy holidays, dude. Happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays.